If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis. Uh, this is our weekly Vancouver Canucks podcast. We talk all things Canucks. We feature Ed, Patrick Johnson, and uh, maybe if we can get Ben Kuzma off all the other media ventures he does for other people, we can get him in here too. Uh, please subscribe th- to us through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Let us know I- anything that you'd like to talk about. So, Ed, let's jump right into it. Another sterling start to the season for the Vancouver Canucks, but this one feels a little bit different, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it does to me, and you know, and I I think we've kind of gone got, gone over the reasons, or, or they should be obvious to everybody. The, the the depth in the lineup is not unlike anything we've seen since that 2010 to 2012 run. Uh, you look up and down; they've got four legitimate lines. They've got three sets of NHL defensemen. They've got two NHL quality goalkeepers. In fact, I think their goaltending is—you know—you could rate it in the upper echelon in the NHL. And, and then the other thing I, I look at—I don't see anybody having like this crazy lights-out year where they're carrying the team by themselves. And you know that's not sustainable. It's just—you know—everybody's kind of doing their job and they're just kind of rolling along here. And then we'll we'll see what happens as things unfold. You always have to add that caveat with the Canucks. So this can go a lot of different ways, and this isn't the first good start they've gone off to in the last four or five years, but this feels sustainable to me. Um, this wasn't on my list to talk to you about, but since you raise it, it's uh, is Jacob Markstrom an underreported story, not just locally but in the, the NHL? Because we go from a guy yeah. who... Forget the Luongo saga, a guy who was brought in to be a placeholder, but really is, keeps moving up the list of where he is in terms of goalie rankings. Well, again, so the question is how long can he keep it up? Because really for the last half of, of last season, he was an elite NHL goaltending. I, you know, I can't pull the numbers out, but I remember looking at them, and they compared favorably to the very best keepers in the league. And it, it seems like he's doing it again this year. Plus, Demko is proving to be, you know, an able caddy, an able backup. So, you know, I I don't see, you know, them forcing to run Markstrom out there 65, 70 times a year. He should be in that 55 to 60 sweet spot. And if he can keep this up, I mean, I, I always thought that was the biggest thing about the Canucks this season, what his performance was going to be. And if he could be... Uh, you know, that top 10 NHL goalie, and even if he could be in the Vesna conversation, that changes everything for this team. He was in the second half of last season. So far, he's been pretty close to that. Now let's see if they if he can keep that up. 
So you know what the blueprint is for this, of course. Uh, Demko wants more playing time, so he demands a trade. So uh, then they trade him, and then they end up trading Markstrom as well. And now we're bringing Rick DiPietro for the next part of this saga. But no, that's that to see where the Canucks goaltending really looked like a sore point, that has been you know solidified, certainly. But along with everything else, this is this goes something I wanted to raise with you. So when people are nitpicking, because that's what they love to do in a hockey crazy market, um, people get so wound up in the cap numbers. And, I mean, obviously there's stuff that it will limit you and moves that you want to make. But when you look, it doesn't matter to the fan that Louis Erickson's money is parked in the press box or that they're paying Jay Beagle what they're paying him. The fact of the matter is this is a team that um, really seems to have addressed the holes both on the blue line and uh, you know, on in that bottom six, so as you said, it's the depth that's carrying them. Why, why do fans seem to care so much about the salary cap? I, I, it, it's oh wow, that's a really good question, and, and I wish you would have given me some more time to think about it. But <laughs> no, and, and I, I, this is my best answer. I think it has a lot to do with the way the game is covered now and the complete change it's been since the time in my career, and it, it's kind of evolved to kind of. For me, these kind of like human interest type stories, these like hockey generated stories, and now so much of the coverage seems to be, I know more than the general manager, or I am the general manager, and this is how I would do it. And I think analytics comes into play, and there's just so much information out there now, statistical data, data-driven information. And I think that's where, you know, managing the payroll has become such a, you know, a huge part uh, of the NHL in in, in in the current era. And I think that's where it comes from. I, I, I think people love to be engaged on that level. They feel smarter. They feel like, you know, they know as much as, you know, these people are, you know, paid millions of dollars to make those decisions. That That's my best stab at it anyways. I, you know, and I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I just ultimately, and I think obviously that, I mean, it's more conversation between the general manager and the owner than yeah, the fans and the general course. manager. But to me, it's kind of a good sign that despite his salary, Louis Erickson isn't playing because they have better options. I, He's not yeah. being played because of his contract. And that only speaks to how good this team is right now. Well, and again, think of the way that conversation has changed. People were pulling their hair out at Louis, Louis Erickson's contract. And, you know, it was a, it was a sign that, you know, Benning was incompetent, that, you know, he, could, he was a good scout, but he couldn't do, you know, the detail work. You need to be uh, a, a general manager in, in the NHL. Well, I, I don't hear that now. And, and I would venture to say you can go down virtually every team in the NHL and find that one contract that jumps out at you. Wow, they're paying that guy way too much. As long as it's just one. And $6 million, I know to you and me, is a lot of money. In the NHL scheme of things, it's not a backbreaker. So right now, it's not like they're inhibited in what they do. Now, that's going to change here pretty soon when Pedersen's deal comes up, when Hughes' deal comes up. And if they continue to perform at an elite level, they'll have to pay them at an elite level. But we also saw this offseason where that doomsday scenario with all the groups, too, didn't really materialize except in Toronto, which just I thought was going to skew everything, and it really didn't. So, So, you know, again... 
I look at the job Benning's done in managing the payroll, and I, I, I think you could give him a passing grade. And all those free agent deals, there's none that jump out at you from this summer. Well, and in fact, Ed, like, you you know, you talk about this happens on every team. This is, isn't this exactly how the Canucks ended up with Miller? Is Tampa Bay, I mean, yes, people here no. will quarrel with a first-round pick as the price, but the Canucks brought in a guy who seems to be making an immediate difference in in their in their season, yeah, no, they had plenty of cap room, and that that's they invested it in Miller, they invested it in Tyler Myers, they invested it in in Jordy Ben, and you'd have to see they upgraded four positions over the summer. That that's really important. I mean, that's that's like, help me with the math here, whatever that is. It's 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 like twenty percent of the lineup, and you can even make the case that Demko. I know he was around last year, but he seems to be a fixture too. So you, again, you you look up and down the lineup at all the places where they've seemingly improved. Um, well, they've improved over the last nine, over the first nine games at least. Let's see how they are going forward. But again, there is nothing to suggest that anybody's playing like way above their level. Um, in fact, there's probably room to grow for some of the players, i.e. Jake Vertan and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to go another d- direction, but I will park okay. that, I'll park right, that okay. there. But since you bring it up, you and I had a conversation uh, before we started recording here about Jake. And, um, you know, he's it, a very interesting contrast to the other uh, high high draft picks that they brought in in that, you know, Hughes already this year seems to look like he's hit the ice running. We know what Pedersen did last year right out of the gate. Besser, when he, even when he had his limited audition his first year, you know, everyone's waiting for Jake to take that step. In past years, this would be a sore point. This would be a talking point. Oh, my God, Jake Vertan is never going to fulfill his potential. They have to get something for him while they can. This team, you know, the team's winning, so it doesn't seem as crucial where does Jake Furtanen fit for you? Will he ever become a guy who was worthy of being drafted where he was drafted? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he'll ever. And so what would that guy be? A six overall pick? Would you expect him to be a 25-30 goal scorer? At least, I think, A 60-65 yeah. point guy, plays a power. He was supposed to be a prototypical NHL power forward yeah. when he came up. And he has that toolbox. Uh, it just doesn't look like it's going to pan out. This is what I think. I think as long as... The Canucks, as long as the team, the way they're constructed now, continues to p- perform at that level, if Jake Vertanen is a top nine guy who can maybe slide up into the top six over a short period of time, give you 15 to 20 goals a season, 35 to 40 pa- points, play a robust physical game, I think that's fine. I think that's an extremely valuable player. You're never going to have to pay that guy a ton. He's going to fit. He's going to add into depth. He's going to fit into the team fabric. And, and, and that's what I think. And he can now do that at his own speed. Look I, look, I look at him, and I think I'm like all Canucks fans. I pull my hair out sometimes because I see what he could be, and it doesn't look like he's going to be there. But if he can even be like a portion of that 60% of the time, I still think he can be a valuable player. I'm going to reference Zach Cassian here, and I understand it's an apples to oranges comparison because there's lifestyle issues with Cassian. But well, I, you, uh, okay, you can make the argument that there's the same, not the same, no, not the but same. a similar yeah, kind arena. Of, the, kind of, there was a kind the, of a question. Basically, the work isn't being put in. Fair enough. That, that's, okay, you can okay. apply that to so, both. So, of them. so, so let's go there. But I, you know, in those bad, bad years, like has the Stanley Cup team. Uh, was expiring. I mean, we, we sat up there, and the one guy they had who looked like he could be a difference maker going forward was Cassian. Size, skill, the whole package, all the rest of it. Well, flash forward to like five years later, he's 
kind of that guy in Edmonton now. He he hasn't really emerged as a showstopper, but he's good enough to play with the two best forwards in the NHL, arguably. Um, contributes and 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 is you know just a really solid NHLer, and it's turned his life around, which is a great story, on a personal level. And then there's the hockey aspect to it. So I, I don't know. I, like I said, it's apples and oranges, but but I, I just think like if Vertanen can get to that point, just kind of show that incremental improvement year by year to where he gets to, he is that twenty goal, forty point guy. I think that's a good player for the Canucks. Well, the comparison to Cassian's a good one in that maybe it's not the exact role that he would play, but it's in a maturity aspect. And yeah. what am I? Do I? especially when the team's having success, if you don't have that yoke of a sixth overall pick, and I, therefore I have to score 30 goals, this is what I am. I can provide the occasional flash of skill. I have speed, but if I work hard, and again, that's a maturity issue as guys get get older in the NHL, who knows whether that's here or somewhere else. You would hope that a guy like Vertanen, you know that something's in there somewhere. Does he find his comfort level? Yeah. Wally Buono, and, and, and I just love it. He, say, he says, what was it? It's, oh, yeah, losing is no good for anybody. And and again, like as long as the Canucks are successful, the, the spotlight is elsewhere. It's not on Jake Vertanen. And to me, that was such a big part of the problem four or five years ago. They draft Ulevio, and, and people are, oh, like he's got he's to make an impact right away. Like he's been called a, a bust. As a, a, a 19-20-year-old. Yeah. Same, same with Vertanen. But the way they're constructed now, you know, they're having some success. People are, you know, they're, they're expected to perform. Yeah, but they're not expected to work miracles. And and I just think that's such a healthy environment for this group, but also the group coming up behind him. So when, say, Jet Wu is ready to play in the NHL, he isn't expected to be the second coming of Bobby Orr. When Tyler Madden makes that step, when the Podkolzin yeah. ma- makes that step, it's not and, – and, but you think of the pressure that was on so many of the Canucks prospects when they were finishing 26, 27, 28. And I, 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 I think it, it, it cratered a couple of them. And, and I, I'm wondering about Nikolai Goldoba now. That's kind of a larger conversation. Uh, but I'm just wondering if the pressure on him and, and the expectations to me were unrealistic given his skill set. That he was going to be a point of gamer. He was going to be a 60, 70 point centerman in the NHL. And when he didn't, no, he's a bust. So, I, I, like I said, I just like a lot of the, the I like a lot of the things that are lining up for the Canucks now, both in the NHL team and in the organization. So, I was, before we got into Vertanen, I was going to ask you about uh, you, you know you'd brought up Tyler Myers and we talked about contracts and acquisitions and I remember at the time just the absolute. Um, hysteria that went on over the again you talk yeah. about the salary cap the amount of money that was given to Myers uh, it doesn't matter they they to me they've they knew what their cap was all those pieces fit together get you under the cap they knew this was the number one defenseman out there for them and they went and got him I haven't seen anything on the ice that causes people to I mean he's not been uh, he's not going to get them in the Stanley Cup conversation this year yeah. but I think he's fit in absolutely seamlessly. Uh, your views on on how he's played so far and how he's fit in? He's, he's just been. He's just been. He's come as advertised. He's been what he has. Now, actually, I take. Let me walk that back just a little bit because his rookie year looked like he was going to be something special. He won the Calder. He had something in the neighborhood of twelve goals and forty points for for a very bad Buffalo team, and and he he really hasn't you know hit that next level since then. And in fact, I think that's kind of been the high water mark of his offensive production. If it hasn't, that's kind of been, you know, the the upper end. Hasn't, so, he hasn't he hasn't no, grown on that. No, no, he he hasn't. But 
I, I looked at that contract when I was signed and I went, yeah, that's reasonable. In fact, I was surprised they got him uh, for what they got him for, which is, you know, six million a year. He's a legitimate top four NHL defenseman. Is he a top pairing guy? It depends who your number one is. Uh, maybe not, but he's a top four guy. And again, I look at this Canucks lineup and you know, Alex Edler is a top four guy. Hughes has all the appearances. I'm not ready to go there just yet, but he has all the appearances of being that guy. Chris Tanev at points in his career when he stayed healthy has been that guy. And now you've got, like, Troy Stetcher in a lot more comfortable role, and Jordy Ben is just a really solid NHL defenseman. who will help you in the penalty killing, who will give you what you need on a night-in, night-out basis as your number six guy. I did want to talk about Quinn Hughes because it's the first podcast you've been on this year, and and you know just another uh, ace in the Canucks like high prospects, and they should be when they're drafted mm-hmm. that high up. But he's a completely different player, obviously to Pedersen. But the demeanor, the fact that he doesn't seem in awe of the situation, is something that that strikes me. We, the Canucks, every player has a different road to the NHL, and even if you look at the Sedins, how many years it took them to really look like they were comfortable and they belonged. Man, it has stunned me how at ease Quinn Hughes has looked to this. And they talk about defense being a tougher position and it takes longer. He certainly doesn't have the physical makeup for you know when Pedersen did struggle with that towards the end of last year. But your impressions, first impressions of Quinn Hughes so far this year. Well, okay, so let me go back to the World Junior last year when an incredible stroke of foresight, you sent me to Victoria to basically be the Quinn Hughes beat, right? We had a bake sale, (laughs) too, you know. (laughs) I thought we got sponsorship from somebody. At any rate, I remember the first time I talked to him, and it was great. Like, it was just basically me and Cleve Deanshaw, and that was it. Cover, and I'm sorry, there's a, there was an American, Chris Peters, a real fine writer for ESPN, w- w- was there, but he didn't show up late. First time I talked to Quinn Hughes, like, I stopped and I said, I'm sorry, are you 32 years old? Like, I, and that's what impressed And he was 19 at that time, just turned 19. And when you look at the background, as impressive as he end, his on the ice, it, it's the off ice, and that he was born to this. He was raised basically in NHL dressing rooms. His dad was a director of player development or had some personnel uh, appointment with the Maple Leafs. He's been around NHL players all his life. He lived with <laughs> Keith Kachuk, <laughs> was his den mother when he played on the U.S. national development team. His roommate was Brady Kachuk. So he, he is completely unfazed by all this. Like I said, he's been around it his whole life. And when you see him and see him, how he reacts and the media attention and all those things, you, you, the word you use unfazed is bang on. Does not one bit. And and the other thing that, that my takeaway from the World Junior is, uh, l- like, the Americans had a couple of big games and they steamrolled lesser appointments. They go up against Sweden. And he got a little exposed. It was a step up in, in competition and he was trying to do too much. He was stick-handled into problems a couple of times. Two turnovers led directly to Swedish goals. And their next game was against Finland, and it was a different guy. You could just see, okay, I can't do that against this level of competition, but this is what I can do. And I see the same thing at the NHL level. Okay, I can't do this, but this is what I can do. And uh, I just, I, I think the world of the kid. I, I, I think the Canucks hit a grand slam home run with that draft pick. You say you expect to get that guy, not with the seventh overall pick. No, that, just, that, that's a crapshoot. That, yeah, yeah. You, you should get an impact player by all rights. I'm just not sure if you should get that guy. No, I, and absolutely, you say the same thing with Pedersen. I, I think if you, you know, and under any circumstances, you redraft that year and you look at Pedersen mm. going probably number one. Um, 
overall, though, when you when you look at this Vancouver Canucks team, what's this? What's the ceiling for them this year? Yeah, I, I would hope they're playing meaning. I, I hate to give you that answer, but I really hope they, they're playing meaningful games in the last week in March and the first week in April. And you, you know, may, I, maybe the planets align and and. Markstrom and Demko give them that level of goaltending, and and they get enough offense. And JT Miller turns into that you know, thirty goal guy, and and, and all the rest of it, and everything unspools as it you know in, in a perfect Canucks world. Maybe that happens. I just see that as being a team that should be in the playoff conversation until relatively late. Um, beyond that, I, I I don't know what to say. I, I'm just not, you know, it, it's hard. Nine games in, and we've been waiting for this moment for, it seems like, an eternity in this market. It's, in fact, it's been five years. But it's here, and there's some reason for optimism, and they seem to be pointing in the right direction. That's good enough for me. I don't know if it's good enough for Canucks fans, but that's good enough for me. But that's that may be a reasonable expectation to just say, even if they're incrementally building on last year. But when you talk about a ceiling, are they capable of winning a playoff round or two? Or they, is that too soon? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 okay, okay, so, so l- let's take out the wide angle. What's going on in the Western Conference now? And when I looked at that, and I looked at the teams the Canucks had to crawl over just to get to the playoff bar, to say nothing of the playoff teams, I thought, well, boy, that's tough. So the Edmonton you're, of 2016 like, has finally shown up, is what you're saying. Well, no, but, but uh, well, that's part of it. But I'm also saying, geez, Winnipeg, to me, looks like they're in trouble. Yeah. You know, they've lost their three best defensemen from last year. That That's not uh, – I'm not sure where San Jose is right right now. They've got – yeah, they uh, they have an awful lot invest in Eric Carlson. I'm just not sure he's the player they they, they think he is. I don't think Las Vegas is, is the power they've been. I might, might, might be proven wrong about that one. Um, so it's just a little. It, it's interesting to me. Calgary's down a bit from last year. You know, are they that first place team, or were they exposed against Colorado in the first round of the playoff? And this is what they are. Yes, Colorado to me is a powerhouse. I'm not really surprised what they've done. A little surprised about what Edmonton's done. Let's talk again in a couple of months to see where they are. But there seems to be, you know, a kind of um, uh, adjustment period going on in the West right now, and the Canucks are part of that. Well, and that's what makes it fascinating. You talk about a wider view. I mean, Arizona, again, a bit of a surprise team, but another team that's seemingly been rebuilding forever. Maybe didn't have the resume that the Canucks had in terms of their prospects, but they look like, I, I I hate this because it's like during the election when they the, the polls close. It's still early, but he's leading by 13 votes. Like it's it's stupid. We know this is a small window, but when I look at these teams that have been rebuilding, and yes, I put Edmonton in that in that conversation, and they have this collection of young players that so far it hasn't come together. You're right. There seems to be a bit of a turn in the West. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we knew forever you had Anaheim, Chicago, L.A. were dominating. St. Louis was a fantastic story last year. It had this this position. Um, the prospects for a while, but you know Calgary last year came out of nowhere. I think the West is certainly a lot more interesting to the neutral fan uh, than the East is. But I look, this is where I, if I'm a Canuck fan, and as I was talking about the ceiling, I go, why not? Yeah. I'm not suggesting they win the cup this year, but you look at the progress, and I, I think playoffs are absolutely in the conversation this year. No, uh, yeah, hundred percent. You know, you referenced Arizona. That to me is a fascinating one. Yeah, and, and, and I think uh, I think in a lot, like, that's the one I'll be watching. Where are they in relation to to the Yokes? 
uh, because they've kind of, you know, developed and built their team in a similar way. I think the Canucks have drafted a little better. I think the Coyotes have done better in free agency. Uh, but they seem to, you know, they're, they're, they're drinking the Rick talk at Kool-Aid. They, they're a very difficult team to play with. They've got, they've got an exceptional blue line if their goaltending holds up, right? All those questions, but but they've kind of their development has kind of paralleled the Canucks here over the last four or five years, and you would have figured one of them would be ready to make a leap forward about this time, four or five years of building. Yeah, okay, now it's time. So I, that's that's something I, that's one I'm going to be watching really closely this year. This is such a linchpin year for the Canucks in the terms of I think if if the results were um, either quite poor or middling, or if they slide into that position. The questions are going to pop up from us, amongst others, uh, in terms of the coach's security or mm. certainly the general manager's security. Um, what does it do for an organization to have stability, to know that everyone is down with you moving on the right path, that you're free to make the coaching decisions that you want to make and not do it in order to preserve your job? And the same thing from the general manager. You're not going to make a panic trade mm-hmm. to try and get you over the line at the deadline to get you in the playoffs. What does it say for the team this year and that if they can have a year where everyone, everything looks like it's flowing in the right direction, that people can have freedom to can do their job? Does that make a difference or is that just the nature of the NHL which fires its coaches like yeah, no, no. no I, 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 I honestly think it makes a huge difference, and especially when you look at the history of this franchise, where they they blow they blown through three presidents. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, I'm doing the math in my head. It just seems <laughs> like three or four coaches since since AV. Um, it has given the appearance that it, it's kind of in a, a constant state of flux. flux. There's a bit of chaos taking place, and it, most of it is pointed towards ownership. And I'm sorry, when like Benning signed that three-year extension in the offseason, I thought, oh, geez, three more years of this? I yeah. can't believe it. To me, this is the most underreported story about the Canucks this season is the way Benning has flipped the script about his position. You think of all the moves that were made over the four or five years, and there was ample criticism, and I think it was perfectly justified. Like the trades were at best lateral moves, too many misses in the draft. All of a sudden, you just look at what's happened this year. With the draft picks, with the free agent signings, with some of the trades, the JT Miller trade. I mean, oh, that, abs- yeah, yeah. but maybe they overpaid. For, who cares? Yeah. They've got a first line left winger, a guy who looks like he's capable of getting 65, 70 points this year. That's worth a first round draft pick to me. Plus, he's, you know, they have him locked up under club control for the next four seasons or whatever it is at a reasonable amount for a first line. They, I, I haven't seen anything quite like this in, in my time covering the NHL where a team, all the moves just seem to hit at the right time. They were one thing going into the season, now they're this other thing. And it's largely because of the vision of the general manager. I mean, you, you, have, to give the, you have to give the man credit for it. Are there players, you know, we talked about Hughes, a little bit about Myers, but are there players on this team that you're really curious to see how their season plays out in terms of their storylines or what they're what they're able to do, what their role on the team is? We do videos here, so I don't, I don't want to, you know, apologies to anyone who has seen the videos and listened to the podcast for being repetitive, but I think so much of Bo Horvat, and, you know, we knew he was bringing the, 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 the ridiculous uh, sort of toil on him being named captain, as mm-hmm. you and I both thought that should have happened last year, but the fact just to see him get a hat trick. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think there's some really great personal stories on this team that I, I'm actually looking forward to see how those develop throughout the year. Yeah, but but, but to me the stories are, so is is Bo Harvat a 30-goal, 75-point centerman, or is he 25-60? and 60? 
is Elias Patterson a point a game guy? Is he an eighty point, eighty five point guy, or is he a seventy point guy? Uh, is Miller a thirty goal scorer? Or is he a twenty goal scorer? So you know, and and it, it, it's those kind of things because I think that will determine how far the Canucks are going. These guys are are good players. But are they really good players? Are they great players? Are they capable of carrying a team into the playoffs? I think that's really the question. I, I don't see one where, boy, this guy has to uh, produce at this level for this guy. I, I don't see that at an unrealistic level, at least. And I think the other thing, the other interesting thing is I was just not looking at the Utica Comets website and the depth within the organization now. So when and injuries will occur in the NHL, I look well, down and I Adler, see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. I see Goldobin second in the in the AHL in 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 scoring. I, I see Sven Berchi. I think third. I'm, I'm not exactly yeah. sure about that. They've got some NHL options uh, down in. So it's not like in years past when the inevitable injuries occurred that you know that they were done. They just did not have the depth to withstand them. So I think that's another thing that will play out as this season evolves. Uh, I I could have. I could have envisioned a scenario where the team would be off to the start that they are in terms of points and and the way they've won games. But for me, to see that, I would have had to arrive at the point that Patterson would have had 12 or 13 goals Mm -hmm. by this point and Besser would have had 8 or 9. Has it surprised you a little bit that the shiny toys have not been the guy? You know, we've talked about Miller and about... But it's it, to me, it's remarkable that the team is where they are. And if you were to nitpick, you'd say that Pedersen and Besser aren't really firing on all cylinders yet. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why people are reasonably optimistic about this and why this appears to be sustainable. It's not like people like I think we, we were talking about earlier are playing at this crazy level or one or two players or a line is carrying them it seems to be a different guy uh, on every night so you know nobody really cares if Jake Vertanen has one goal or Michael Furland is taking time to find some traction in the lineup because there, there, there's the, the, the hole is has been greater than the sum of the parts so far and that's about the depth, and that's about goaltending, and that's about, I think, about coaching. I, you know, everybody gets to share in this. Nothing good ever comes of losing. Good stuff comes from winning, and I think that's what we're seeing with the Canucks now. Okay, I think we'll leave it there, Ed. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You can read Ed's columns at theprovince.com, vancouversun.com. Um, you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts to get these podcasts delivered every week with all our Canuck writers. Uh, also catch our videos on our websites as well. Thanks to producer Adam Foster. Thanks to Ed Willis. Thanks to you for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you next week.